Hello everyone, welcome to the Bonus Podcast. I'm the host Donatos Rubinas. I'm joined by Rita Svishnauskas, my, my colleague, my co-host, and we're just saying hi for the last time here from Berlin. Unfortunately, yes, and as you can see, I, I, I have accustomed to the Berlin culture and uh, now I'm a huge Alba Berlin supporter. Yeah, and definitely I see you <laughs> wearing this during the season, during the upcoming yep. season, because you always uh, impress us with your outfits and retro uh, jersey you have. I have a lot of merch and I continue this tradition to buy the local club merchandise. So in Berlin, obviously it's Alba, even though it took a lot of effort to get to the fan shop. You can imagine. It, was, imagine. it, it was not as easy as like Barcelona to go and buy a Barcelona football club jersey but i got what i wanted i also have a t-shirt that says free pete because okay. alba berlin okay. they're the german champions okay. three times in a row so kudos to any um alba berlin fans watching us yeah there are a lot of alba berlin fans that's why we're hearing johannes timon and mvp chant here in the arena so this is our last podcast from berlin but after the finals we'll do our podcast in in vilnius in our studio probably augusta Schulauskas also gonna be there and there we're gonna summarize the eurobasket and of course the final game between spain and france in this podcast we will discuss more uh, about the semifinals particularly one semifinal game and it will be kind of combined Q&A uh, session as well but just before we start uh, one more time we are really thankful for all the support all the attention everything uh, what we got during the Eurobasket competition because there was a lot of feedback uh, in YouTube even in the arena meeting a lot of different uh, people so it was great, you know, for such an important basketball competition, I, once again, just to bring this basketball community together to discuss, to share takes, to share opinions. So thanks a lot. And if if, if you like what we're doing, just please subscribe our channel because uh, we're going to continue our podcast during the uh, EuroLeague, EuroCup, FIBA Champions League mm, season. There's a lot of more good content here, including video highlights, some other uh, shows there on basketnews.com uh, YouTube channel. So please subscribe us and also press like button because it helps uh, our channel to grow. So let's start with the first semifinal game, Poland, France. Why are you smiling? Because this had no business being a semifinal of a Eurobasket. And once again, such a shame that Slovenia didn't show up in a quarterfinal to do what they had to do, and and there was no competition in this in this game. Actually, after the first quarter, you could easily say that France will play for gold because um, these were two different level teams. And a very important thing is that France had excellent matchups against uh, Ponitka and Slaughter. Uh, LBC, we know how crazy he is on defense, and also Tarpe against Ponitka. Uh, Tarpe is a nightmare matchup for anybody. So they're just good defensive team in general. They are I mean, good. France is uh, built and yeah, and Rudy Gobert is there as a rim protector. You could see him uh, blocking some shots, like sending the ball from Berlin to Warsaw. So honestly, there was no competition, and and it, it's it's kind of sad because uh, on the semifinal stage you expect the game to be. Not necessarily close. Sometimes you have a blowout, but you expect to see and something different. And we were used to these close tie games, yeah. thrillers, dramas, surprises. So let's talk about the history. I mean, this is the yeah. biggest margin in a Eurobasket semifinal ever since 1967 yeah. when Soviet Union beat Poland by 40. Yeah, also it was the biggest uh, victory for France uh, in Eurobasket since 1959. I mean, 41-point margin was the record-breaking. Uh, and it's also, this is the largest margin of a win for a team in a game in the knock knockout stages in yeah. the Eurobasket since 1987 when Yugoslavia also beat Poland by 47 points. So Poland is kind of they have unlucky history. In, in these records. Although it kind of, you know, we cannot rule out what they did in the quarterfinal game against nah, Slovenia. Of course, uh, I mean, for them... Whether they finish fourth or they get yeah. the bronze medal, it's, it has been an amazing tournament and an amazing journey. But for Team France, one very important moment, I think, is they saved a lot of energy. Mm -hmm. They had the earlier tip-off uh, and they didn't need to overplay yeah. Abusele, Gobert, uh, Fournier, Ertel, and all, all these key players. Yeah. They will be well-rested and prepared for the final. And another good thing is that role players that, Mm -hmm. Don't necessarily fit in the rotation, but they still play some sporadic minutes like Elio Cobo uh, and, and Amatin Baye. 
they felt good. They hit some shots, and maybe who knows, they will play some minutes in in the final, and the confidence will be there. So these are very important moments for Vincent Collet. They didn't. You can have, you can get they didn't better get tired. before your final game, right? Yeah, exactly. Just giving some confidence, boosting the confidence of these players who will be important if they want to win against this super competitive team like Spain. And I loved the, the headline in in French newspaper L'Equipe. I think that even before the game against Poland, they called it uh, the Boulevard of Dreams. You know, uh, getting through Turkey and Italy by a miracle, and then getting Poland on the semifinal game instead of yeah. uh, Slovenia. So it's really a boulevard of dreams, and let's see if they're gonna fulfill their their, their dreams in the final game against Spain. And, gonna... and and you know what? Like, I'm not predicting the final. I'm just saying that Spain against France in the Eurobasket final seems to make a lot of sense in the 21st century, right? Because mm -hmm. these are two most dominant uh, national teams in, in Europe. Also, yeah. Serbia is there close close to them. If you look at the Olympic medals, uh, Eurobasket medals and, and FIBA World Cup. Uh, but those are very different teams. These are not the Gazole brothers against Tony Parker and Boris Diaw. Mm -hmm. This is a different story, but one way or another, France against Spain, Scariolo against Collet. It's like inevitable, <laughs> you know? Yeah. The ever semifinal, though, was, was really oh, yes. great. Spain, uh, Germany, I mean, a lot of comebacks. You know, one team was up by 10. The ever got the lead, went on the run. A lot of, you know, roller coasters during the game. A lot of interesting individual performances, some tactical things. What kind of struck to your mind the most? Well, first of all, what I love about this Spanish team is that they never panic. If you look at all three games, the round of 16, the quarterfinal and the semifinal, in all of these games, they were down by double digits at some point in the game. Like against Finland, it was in the first half, against Lithuania, third minus quarter, 15, yeah. against Germany, minus 10, in third quarter also. But they just never panic. They always seem so calm. They know that as long as we go into the last minutes with a more or less close result, we have a good shot at this because Lorenzo Brown is is amazing playing the last mm -hmm. minutes. He he has clutchness in his wings. So I love that they never panicked. They stayed in the game the whole time, even though Germans were making some crazy runs with their transition freeze and, and Dennis Schroeder driving to the basket. I love the way you said Schroeder. I'm trying to improve mm -hmm. my, my okay. German pronunciation. So Spain, the good thing that they did, they found X factors. Like they, like they did. usually they do, They always right? did in this tournament, yeah. I wasn't even surprised at this moment because I saw it in, in other games as well. But Usman Garuba, we know his defensive presence. We know how good he is rebounding uh, the ball. But in this game, all of a sudden, he started to like show us his inner Marcus Hall by dishing those assists, Seven especially assists. to Juancho. Especially Seven to Juancho. Assists. And all these celebrations, you know. Oh, my God. But this is like amazing skill like no look passes with two seconds on the clock good reads very amazing. good reads and these were amazing. important place in the middle of the fourth quarter and the other guys obviously uh, alberto diaz i mean his his on ball defense is is great excellent he can pressure any opponent but the other thing is that he also gave them points because coach scariolo is probably thinking okay dario brisella is maybe the more talented player on offense but i need Alberto Diaz next to Lorenzo Brown because of defense. And all of a sudden, Alberto Diaz also hits a three-pointer, hits an end one. He he ended the game with like 10 points. Yeah, And these were in the second yeah. half points. Second say. half points, important moments in the game. 16 minutes and his plus minus is plus 25. Wow. The second best wow. in Spain was uh, Rodolfo Fernandez yeah. at plus 11. That's it. Nice. That's the story. I mean, I mean it's incredible. Of course, then in the end of the game, you depend on Lorenzo Brown. He had a great game all night. He was doing what he does best, playing the pick and roll, having the defender on his back, going deep into the painted area and, and just finishing with his right hand. Also hit some three pointers. He was feeling very good uh, since since the first quarter. So you could see that it was a 30 point type of type of game for, for Lorenzo. And the bigs, as you know, Villarnan Gomez, one of the best centers in this tournament. He's But impressive. what's good about him, he doesn't have a problem sitting out the most of fourth quarter because mm. Scariolo needs Garuba for obvious reasons. 
And Willy is just sitting on the bench cheering for his team. He knows that, okay, I might be needed in, in, in some possessions when, when the coach starts these defense-offense substitutions, which happened. Willy hit clutch free throws and Usman Garuba had his uh, moments on defense. So it's just great teamwork and, and this, this team has amazing spirit. Like mm. they, just they, they brought team, an American into the team, but they brought the right American. He fits perfectly mm. in, into this team as they call La Familia. So, and again, I, ca I cannot say too many bad words about Germany. They played their hearts out. They were fighting out there, but just in the fourth quarter, they lacked some consistency and one one and, thing and better decisions one thing i didn't like i remember dennis schroeder uh he scored a two-pointer and he increased the lead up by eight it was yeah. like 70, 69 61 then they also increased the lead 71 61 and it was like one minute to play in the third quarter and from that moment germany really started struggling offensively and uh, what I didn't like, okay, they started the fourth quarter with like three or four field goals, uh, with like seven minutes to play. They're, they were in a good situation. And then what happened? They made only one of 10 from the field. And the problem I saw was that Dennis Schroeder, who was super hot, he had 26 or 28 uh, points after three quarters. Yeah. He just stopped at first getting the ball and next thing, just playing with the ball. Okay, it took a lot to do with Spanish defensive uh, decisions using um, box and one uh, defense. Yeah. Alberto Diaz was usually uh, uh, on his ankles uh, all the time, try to isolate uh, isolate him from the game. But, and there were a lot of missed shots by Maudolo, who, who, is, who was kind of off, not only today, but in the last game. Uh, uh, also, there was Timon Bab taking tough shots. It's not his shots ties was also you know uh, trying to force some situations okay wagner made some shots it's the guy you can kind of rely on but he was missing mm, these shots i was kind of you know when you have such a hot leader and basically every time he has ball in his hands he will either create shot for himself more or less good shot and especially when he's punish when he's punishing you if you try to go under with him uh if not if he's not scoring he will find the pass he will find the right man yeah. uh, to deliver the ball I was just missing more creativity from German's coaching staff how to involve him in the game than Alberto Diaz or other guards uh, doing everything just to isolate, uh, isolate him uh, from the game. And I think it was crucial because Germany just, just started to struggle uh, offensively. Uh, then Spain took the lead. And, you know, Spain did what they do in these last-minute uh, games. They're just killing everybody with right roles, with the right decisions. Maybe I missed a little bit more switching from, from German defense when Lorenzo Brown got, got hot. I mean, I think that it was a very crucial uh, moment. And it, it feels me sad because I love what Spain did. I'm as, I was really supporting them from basketball fans' standpoint from the knockout stage when I finally saw them live. But... Germany was the team, probably they played the most beautiful basketball. They had this charismatic leader like Dennis Schroeder. They had this young star, uh, Franz Wagner, some other individual performances, starting from Maudolo to Obst. Daniel Tice, I mean, his dunk, one-handed dunk. Mm -hmm. I mean, it was probably impossible ball, but he catched it with one hand and just hammered it. I mean, it was a really nice team to watch and the level they showed, everything they did, they really deserve to win this Eurobasket and then to make this fairy tale, winning the trophy in, in the home crown, Dirk Nowitzki watching your team, this jersey retired. But I think that that moment was probably crucial in that game. I mean, Dennis Schroeder just being isolated from the game. But you know, I cannot agree with you about that they deserve to win. If they deserve, they had to win the semifinals. It's as simple as that. They That's can true. still finish their tournament on a high note, take the bronze medal, and nobody could say that it, it was a bad... Uh, champion uh, European Championship for for Germany. No, of course I don't. I'm not saying that Spain didn't deserve it. Yeah, I, I think it okay. was just a perfect setup, and the way they played, the quality they brought uh, on the court, how beautiful they were. They really played team basketball. You know, it was just a perfect combination for a but championship. They team. didn't play particularly good defense. That that's the problem. And, and in the fourth quarter, I have to agree with you. They couldn't adjust to, to Scariolo's uh, defensive systems. They couldn't find solutions and. 
I remember the possession when Schroeder was on the court, Wagner was on the court, uh, Obst was on the court, and their possession ends with Daniel Tice taking a mid-range jumper. This is what Spain wants you exactly. to do. They don't want to have to see your best players touching the ball and making decisions. They want Daniel Tice taking mid-range jump shots. So in the fourth quarter, yeah, Spain they outplay Germany tactically and mentally, mm -hmm. in my opinion, because Lorenzo Brown is so cool. He doesn't yeah. care about the score. He doesn't yeah. care about how much time is there on the clock. He just lives for the moment, and you can always trust him. I mean. He's proving to be an elite point guard in the last couple of years. Even though he's 32, like two or three years ago, ago we still had question marks yeah. about him as a EuroLeague point guard. There's a reason why there, Fenerbahce let him go. Yeah. But there are no questions right now. Mm. If you're a GM or you're a coach, you want Lorenzo Brown on your team. And Scariolo obviously brings the best out of him. So, again, no, he, just coaching staff in general, they brought the best from all of the players oh, they're yeah, just fitting yeah. their role just perfectly because when i just think about this team about the lineups they have basically they have one of the best point guards in the eurobasket then they have this uh, amazing lineup of centers with Willy hernan gomez being one of the best uh, let's see scoring bigs in, in this tournament and then from from bench you'd bring one of the best defensive uh, big men in the tournament, Usman Garuba. Yeah. Um, they have veteran Rudy Fernandez, other players filling their role. Of course, they're playing above any expectations you could have. But when you take the most important pieces for a successful teams, they all have it, and especially it starts from the coaching staff. And this, I mean, this is one of the most fun to watch coaching staffs in the tournament because you probably also noticed that when uh, Spain sets the offense, there's Sergio, Sergio Scariolo on the sidelines. Yes. When they start to play defense, they, there is Luis Gil. Uh, I think it's Gil. Gil, probably, sorry. In my, in my opinion. Yeah. <laughs> Any Spanish people, if you're watching, yeah. just give us the correct pronunciation. And, and from what I heard from the research I tried to do, uh, this coaching staff are super strong. They have like five assistant coaches. They're all very good in scouting, in, in video stuff. A lot of them also worked for the youth teams or with previous generation of, of Spanish basketball stars. So even in a simple situation, like they all have good connection with Ricky Rubio, for example. They call Ricky Rubio, Rubio, Rubio. Rubio they talk about Laurie Markkanen, for example. When you have these geniuses like uh, Scariola or Luis Will, for example, they set the defensive adjustments against Lauri Markkanen. I mean, their scouting department was really great, and that's what we see uh, on the court. But at the same time, you know, it's okay. Preparation is one, but execution is another yes. thing. So, I was just amazed how quality there i mean they have s such a huge variety of a lot of defensive systems and i was just amazed how quality they execute all these different uh, tactics in such yeah. a short time and at some point having scariolo at windows helped him to get to know better all these role players which we see here on the national team but i mean it's very very interesting team yeah. to watch so my last two points are First of all, this team is unique because even in the knockout stage, Scariolo always uses 11 or even 12 players, mm -hmm. which is kind of unique because most of the teams and coaches, uh, when it's the knockout stage, they go yeah. for eight-man rotation or nine-man rotation. But here you see that even Sebastian Saiz gets his minutes. And Joel Parra in the quarterfinal, for example, got a lot of minutes. And the other thing, this once again proves how strong is the Spanish ACB. Mm -hmm. Because we're talking about role players on the roster, on the national team roster, but these are good players from clubs like. Although uh, they're not like main players, they're rotational. No, I mean they're players, good yeah. players from clubs like Malaga, Unicaja, mm -hmm. or or, or um, Valencia, or any other team you take from ACB league. It just shows the quality of the league. Mm -hmm. There's a reason why ACB is called the strongest national uh, league in in, in Europe. And you can trust these players. All of a sudden, everybody knows who Dario Bresele is. Everybody knows who Xavi Lopez Arostegui is, Jaime Pradilla, and all the other guys. So these are my two points about this this team and how they went to the final. They really deserve this final. I mean, yeah. And yeah. if they win the gold medal, it it should be like the 
biggest achievement for Scariolo with the yeah. national team. I know he has the gold medal from the World Cup. I know he has all these medals uh, with the golden generation. But for the first time, they were the true underdogs. Mm. Nobody yeah. saw them in they're, the medal stage. Not 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 about. We I'm not talking about finals. If about they're the like top eight team yes. in the tournament. When we in the in our power rankings. rankings, they didn't make it to the top eight. I had them. Or you had them eight. at in, yeah. the, in the eight and spot. And I was saying like never underestimate the, the heart so, of the champions. So you were Carillo. right, but even you didn't yeah. expect to nah, see them in the final. Really. So not really. If they win it, I think for Scariolo, it should be the biggest achievement with the national team. So people are talking about how Spain is now suffering uh, a change of an era. Like the veterans are stepping down, mm. young players are stepping up, they have an American on the team. But let's pay attention to one thing. Every Spanish team, men's and women's, on youth level, and now we see with the national team, mm. they made it to the finals of the competitions they played. Mm. They didn't win all of the gold medals possible, mm. but they were always in the finals. This is amazing. This just shows that the future is bright and the present is also bright as we see. You know, it's a point worth a discussion because it's not the first time when they have this successful young generation, but I even when I was talking with uh, some people from Spanish basketball community, they say that there's still a problem uh, with this bridge between youth basketball to pro basketball, and especially mm -hmm. when we're talking about, you know, um, significant players like Rudy Fernandez, uh, mm -hmm. Gazol Bravos, or even Garuba. So let's wait and see, because we okay. also have this history in Lithuania being successful at youth level, but then struggling somewhere, you know, helping these uh, guys to find the path uh, on the top. So yeah, we'll see how see, many see of them. Yeah. I see. We'll see how many of them become successful in men's basketball. Mm -hmm. But for example, Juan Nunez is is a huge prospect. He was close to making the roster uh, yeah. this summer. Actually, he got cut eventually, but he's 17 years old. Yeah. So let's let's wait and see what happens about the young players. But in general, Spanish basketball is in the right direction, you, whether you like it or not. Yeah. The, the other question I had, if for example, when I think about this team, uh, and when you think about the MVP of the Eurobasket, and for example, if Spain wins the Eurobasket, uh, it feels like the real MVP of this team is Coach Scariola. No, but watching how Lorenzo Brown is performing in a knockout stage when it matters actually it's it's just impressive he's in the these three knockout stage games tough tough games important games he averaged 22.3 points 8.3 assists 1.3 steals uh shooting by 53 percent and I think he's legit candidate to yeah, win this MVP Spain trophy. Wins it Spain and wins it would be it the first sure. time, and of course, it will bring a lot of discussions. Mm. It will be the first time since 1973 when the American-born player uh, became the MVP of Eurobasket competition. And what's interesting that that guy was Wayne Donald Brabender Cole, who also played for Spain. Uh, he was American-born Spanish uh, player and, and coach uh, later. I'm not really sure about his Spanish ties, although he acquired the citizenship when he was like 23. Probably Spanish basketball people know this story better. Uh, but it's just interesting coincidence. <laughs> you know. That Another so coincidence is that 15 years ago in, in the Eurobasket final, Spain got killed by an American player. I'm talking about the legendary John Robert Holden mm. making the hitting the game winner. Yeah. And 15 years from that moment now spain is being led by an american point guard yeah lorenzo dantes brown so of course he's the clear mvp candidate if spain wins wins the gold so i think we can go with the questions yeah we didn't sure. sorry thanks first of all thanks for all the questions we, we received but we also had to split some questions some some of these questions were kind of similar so we just mm, yeah mm, we took it to one question or some of them were about the EuroLeague and we thought that in the upcoming weeks, in two or three weeks before the EuroLeague season, we will do the I mean, EuroLeague is our, well. is our bread and butter. Yeah. So during the season, when, when October starts, mm. that's our main topic, EuroLeague and every club. So we will have a preview for, for the EuroLeague season, surely. Right now, let's just stay with, yeah. with the Eurobasket uh, stuff exactly so let's start with red hip hog seven 
I'd like to know if you guys have spotted any new trends coming out of this Euro and if these can or will affect European clubs in the upcoming EuroLeague. For instance, do you see three-point shots being an even more major factor? I think all... I don't remember, you know, it was probably the highest scoring Eurobasket we've ever had probably. And there's a huge difference between uh, previous competitions. I just found one uh, good tweet, give me a second, uh, which compared um, the offensive um, ratings between the competitions. And okay, I cannot find it right now, but the point was that there were like, in this tournament, there were like seven teams who had a better uh, um, offensive rating, more than like 600 points per, per, per possession, per 100 possessions. And for example, to compare it to the previous competitions, before it, we had like one, two or three, uh, three teams. So Jonas also did an article that was exceptionally offensive-oriented uh, uh, Eurobasket. So for me, it was kind of trend. I don't see that, you know, affecting European clubs because it's, two different worlds in my eyes, but I was just happy that we could enjoy this national team's basketball with a lot of high scoring games. Yeah, but of course the impact of, of, of the NBA players and some of the greatest players mm -hmm. in the world is obvious in, in the scoring department, but the more realistic trend that probably could affect like Euroleague clubs, the way they're building teams, what players are they hiring is in my eyes. I don't have any statistics. It's just from the eye test that coaches really value players that are capable of putting pressure on the ball handler. They're not necessarily very skilled. Mm -hmm. They're not necessarily scorers, but they just have this one mission. So we saw Albisi, we saw Diaz, uh, we saw Tarpe, we saw Butkavichus even yeah. for Lithuania. In most of the teams, in the better teams, like also Laranzakis, I mean, he he he, yeah. he scored a lot of points, but that's a different story. Basically, he's there for his energy on defense. So all of these teams have at least one guy who is capable of stepping up and pressuring his opponent like crazy defending on the thin line of foul and i don't see that every euroleague team has a player like that but probably they get they should consider it oh yeah definitely that's like that's what makes lbc valuable because no one in euroleague would hire andre lbc as their point guard mm. as the creator the playmaker the ball handler he's not a good shooter he's not a very good passer He's not very good driving to the rim, but his quality on defense is, is huge. I, I'm just thinking these successful teams, they had players like that. For example, you have Thomas Walker. All of them have at least one. Yeah, Paris Lee in Monaco, for example, shined as a kind of, you know, that kind of uh, player. I mean, yeah, there we have some, but I know, yeah. I and some of these, these players, they're not super expensive on the market. So even... Um, Clubs uh, in Euroleague like Jalgiris or Alba that are not so rich and don't have that much money, they they can find players mm. like that on the market that would bring this particular quality. Because what many coaches, especially American coaches, always say, just be a superstar in your role. If you're a spot-up shooter, mm. just be in the right spacing and, and you will get your shots. If, if, if you're good at defense, just bring your heart to the court and, and, and play solid defense for 18 or 20 minutes. This is the trend I saw. But talking about scoring, yeah, obviously, it's a very high-scoring tournament, but also because we have extra quality. Yeah. Uh, John Dale, CP. Hello, Donatus Enritis. There has been a lot of surprises in this year at Eurobasket, but I'm curious, are there any players that have completely surpassed your expectations? Surpassed my expectations? Hmm. It was there are a few at least. Yeah, it, it was a bit difficult you find to find these players, especially the ones we didn't mention before. I mean, for some of them you didn't even have any expectations, but all of, of a sudden there's Mateusz Ponitka with the only triple double in the tournament. Um, Although at some point it's not that surprising. We all knew that we know he's how going important he is for Poland, role, right? Yeah. Well, for example, I can say that I was surprised by Dennis Schroeder' leadership. Because mm -hmm. I was questioning his leadership skills and the 
the player who sets the tone for the team both offensively and defensively and i just i think that he just shined in this role because before even even the nba i mean his personality the way he, how he handles his emotions was one of uh, the biggest red flags for him of course combining with him being not let's see very affected, uh, effective, uh, high usage uh, player. But in this tournament, I think the main difference is that he was the main guy. And in, in the NBA, you can he cannot be the main guy of a winning NBA team. But here, he was the main guy. Uh, other players, there were a lot of younger players. Some of these players were Earl players. They ac accepted their roles. And it just made a very nice fit. And also, Schroeder also embraced this role. From what I heard, he was really good personality wise he was helping a lot coaches he was helping a lot from his leadership uh, um le leadership vibes uh, wise uh, to his players so it was just a very good fit and on, on the court i mean he he punished uh, he punished uh, his opponents who tried to under him he was one of the highest scoring players average almost 22 points and in my eyes especially if germany made the finals he he was my mvp of the, the eurobasket so he okay He's very high level player, so at some you know it, he can kind of it's hard to surprise, but it, it was more about the off the floor yeah. skills that translated on the court. There are some players that simply played up to their expectations, like Lauri Markkanen, for example. We yeah. expected him to be. Yeah. The he highest, was amazing, but we just to, to saw lead, that. I mean, to be the highest scorer in in the Eurobasket, but I have two names players that really exceeded my expectations. So both are from the finalists. Uh, first of all, Usman Garuba, he's an unpolished prospect and we sort of don't really know where, where his ceiling is, whether he will be an NBA player or not. We don't know that, but he plays his role perfectly for Spain right now. And of course, uh, in Tokyo Olympics, it was kind of difficult for him to show something because not only the Gazol brothers were there, Villarna Gomez was also there. He was there. also a rookie and so he, solves it, all, all this tough experience. Yeah, but right now, you can see that this is the guy you want to trust and, and he brings a lot of good stuff on the court. So Usman Garuba is one name. And I, the I, I will just add, I, I can see random NBA fan who opens uh, Eurobasket stats, for example, and he wants to see, you know, the average of uh, Spanish players. And he sees like Garuba averaging five points, 5.4 rebounds in 17 minutes. And I, yeah. I see him thinking, what an awful Eurobasket yeah, experience. The, the beauty Garuba. is not in the numbers. Exactly. The beauty You is can remember how important uh, he was, Garuba was with his offensive rebounding against Lithuania. He made some clutch tip-ins that helped Spain mm. to win. Of course, they were. He was always delivering with defensive stops, but in this game against Germany, I mean, seven assists, great reads in cru crucial moments. I mean, I didn't see Spain in the group stage, but from what I see here in the knockout stage, I mean, Garuba is just crucial player for this. He is just a perfect backup center for for this team, and he's someone you can rely on in the fourth quarter, which is very important. And the other name I have on the list would be Thomas Etel. Mm -hmm. Well, there are a couple of reasons. It's not like you're surprised seeing Ertel playing good basketball, but in the last few years, a lot of stuff happened to him. He was left in the airport by Barcelona. He was cut from, from Real Madrid's roster because of some disciplinary issues, and, and he didn't even or barely participated in, in the ACB playoffs. And in, in the EuroLeague uh, Final Four, I think he didn't even play a single minute. Yeah. So you had some doubts about him, and you see a France team that lacks a ball handler. They don't have ball handlers. Mm. So Ertel is taking that role, stepping up because there's no Decolo. Evan Fournier is having a lot of ups and downs. And Ertel is one of the most consistent point guards in the tournament. And he also made some clutch shots. He he helped the team win and, and go through all these adversities in, in round of 16 and, and the quarterfinal. His pick and roll with, with Rudy Gobert is crucial because they have the biggest turnover number in, in, in the championship. Uh, it's like 17.5 per game. Mm -hmm. This yeah. is this is because they don't have good ball movement and they don't have good ball handlers. So in the fourth quarter, when you when you must limit your turno turnovers, every possession is the same. 
Ertel mm. playing pick and roll with Gobert. He's irre irreplaceable on that team. Yes, and and this is surprising because in the last few years, it looked like his career is going down. Mm. But this Eurobasket proves that the quality is still there, that Tom Artel is still as good as he ever was. What's interesting about Schroeder, that he's the guy who barely made the Eurobasket because he has injuries just before the tournament started. Yeah. The same is with Tomas Artel, because he signed uh, with Zenit St. Petersburg, and when then the French Federation told that if you're going to play in Russia, you're not going to play for the national team. And the deal wasn't officialized, but from what I hear, it's expected that it's going to be officialized. Like after, after the, the Eurobasket, yeah. he's still signing with Zenit. Which is interesting. And then his future at the national team will be raised uh, on, on the air because uh, next year we have the World Cup. Uh, two years from now, we have Olympics in Paris. So we'll see how French Basketball Federation, you know, evaluates, evaluates uh, this uh, situation. But yeah, I mean, this guy had a lot of off-the-court problems and issues uh, throughout the past years and I didn't expect that he he can be such an important piece I didn't expect of him team. to be so consistent I mm. didn't expect him to be so clutch and he's, he's one of shooter. the one of the main reasons why France is in the final Halit Kochak uh, after this disaster referee performances and be superstar still planning to attend future organizations I think like Luka Doncic say, said it loud and clear that he wants to play for Slovenia. If they qualify for the World Cup, if they qualify for the next Eurobasket, and if he's healthy, he's going to play. Yanis looks like he's very dedicated uh, to the national team with his brothers. Nikola Jokic, I don't think there's a problem with him. He played for Serbia in the Olympics and the World Cup right now in the Eurobasket. Of course, the referees, they're really annoying. We must admit, uh, the NBA players and even the EuroLeague players just cannot cope with some of these decisions, and 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 it's it's hard. But I don't think that the quality of referees will determine yeah. whether these players join the national team or not. It's it's about some other things like are they healthy? How tough was their NBA season? How important is the upcoming EuroBasket? World Cup or the Olympics. So and these also, are the main I think it's points. also um, related uh, how federation works. For example, you can have examples of Bosnian Basketball Federation of just the situation in the country in general when you're playing two friendly games, when you're living four guys in one hotel room, a lot of stuff uh, to go through. And there is also a big coach factor. And for example, um, I've heard that it was very important. I, I think that five Milwaukee guys followed Yanis uh, to Greek national team. And I think that they had two strength and conditioning coaches. One of, uh, one guy was more uh, working with Itudis, with uh, planning and stuff. Uh, and from what I heard, they were kind of happy because they saw that, you know, neither Itudis or anybody else was killing Yanis with, you know, a huge workload, intensive practices, and they just wanted to take care if everything goes well and if they're not pushing too much with Yanis and Tetacumbo. So, uh, and this team had a great chemistry, one of the best chemistries they had in many years, just like some other teams. So I think that these are the main factors when we're talking about the NBA superstars. If Pesic stays and from what we see in, by Serbian Basketball Federation or from his quotes, it is expected that he, he's going to stay. I have some doubts, I mean, about Nikola Jokic. If he was exhausted after this national team experience, if Pesic, as he told, that he's not going to change his habits and and, and his, you know, approach in basketball and he still continues with these... But we haven't heard, heard a word from Jokic himself. Never no, said anything. No, but never they complained heard, about him. Nobody anything. heard a word from Jokic because he spoke uh, to media only on the first day of the training camp for two minutes. Okay. So, but that's the information I'm I'm hearing. There were also reports in Serbian media. Uh, I think. I mean, these are decisive factors yeah. for these players' participation. So the refs, they're not that important because. Yeah. When you go to a competition, all of the players will have the same refereeing and all of the coaches will have these same issues. We will see the number of technical fouls and it is what it is. We have to live with it as long as the EuroLeague referees are not here. Yeah, uh, there's Alastair Wood or Marushaz a question. 
is it possible and what would it take for FIBA to forbid nationalized players like Toby, Lorenzo or Slaughter from competing in Eurobasket? Would you like that to happen? I personally would as I feel national team competition becomes almost like club competition with limited free agency for Americans. Well, we've had this discussion before. Just before the Eurobasket. Right? I think now it's it's a little bit too late to reverse the rules. It is what it is. Some teams really rely on their naturalized American players. In most cases, these are point guards, which shows that Europe is not as successful at growing mm-hmm. point guards. Which requires skill, yeah. athleticism, that yeah. a lot of things goes in that combination. Yeah, you have to be very strong mentally. You have to be able to lead the team, to score when needed, to distribute when needed. Only Slovenia, they're going for bigs because they need a shooting center playing next to Luka Doncic. In the point guard position, they're mm. more than sorted. So this is the tendency. Well, I think it increases the quality of the competition in terms of teams like Poland, Bosnia and Herzegovina adding quality. But when Spain has an American player, that's what all the fuss is about. People are not happy about that. They're saying that this is unfair. France will introduce Joel Embiid maybe in the next competition. He will also count as a naturalized player. I think that right now if you make a decision and and, and start um, canceling all these players or introducing new rules introducing new rules it it wouldn't be fair but at the same time if you start increasing the quota like you can have two or three that could bring a different discussion right now i i don't really have a problem with one naturalized player on on the roster even though some of the rules they should be looked at like ignas brzdekis in my opinion shouldn't count as a naturalized player mm. but again these are smaller details i'm i'm the one that does not have a big problem with with these americans performing in, in the eurobasket yeah. i have a problem uh, because i just think that it goes against national team basketball idea because in my eyes it should mirror the current situation in particular basketball cur- uh, country if you have a problem with the point guard that means that you're doing something bad in your youth system and that's where you should invest by bringing naturalized players you kind of go uh, on a shortcut and in a long term it doesn't help your uh, basketball at the same point i understand that there is a rule and this rule kind of maybe the pure idea of this rule was just to help like players like Ignaz Brzdekis with clear Lithuanian roots to suit up for national team of Lithuania, for example. But at the same time, this rule also allows to go, you know, under this rule and to use it uh, for the good of, of the national team. So we see players like Lorenzo Brown, Mike Toby, Jillian Smith, who has no ties with the national team. And since that rule exists, I just think that we should stop complaining and because it yeah, won't just, change anything just live with it if you want to change something make questions to your basketball federation what did you do in fiba board uh, board for example by if if you raised the question if you uh, requested any change or something because we won't or players complaining about these naturalized players they won't change anything it has to be some united yeah. movement structured movement with clear points clear ideas and suggestions how we should change it and now when you got get scored by brown the 30 points and then you start complaining about it i mean most most of the basketball federations are using the rule to their benefit just serbia lithuania are, are the ones that are against it <laughs> And also Greece, maybe. different laws in Lithuania. You cannot even so give that's a passport not only about time. just yeah. about the basketball federation. Yeah. It's about the government how yeah. they give the passports. Like passport is generally a contract with the country. If mm. you have a pa- Lithuanian passport, it means like you are committed to Lithuania to the laws and everything. Uh, so again, it depends on on the government. But uh, from what I know, that not ne- these players they don't necessarily get paid to play for the national team. Mm-hmm. Just the European passport itself They're just getting helps them in their career. Yeah. But, but again, I mean, this this topic actually requires way longer discussion because when you just think deeper, I mean, we're living at times where, for example, Yanis and his brother, brothers, they struggled, struggled to get a Greek citizenship until they were like 18, 19 mm-hmm. or 20, although they 
they were born in Greece. They have Greek they names. They spoke uh, Greek. I mean, they went through Greek uh, youth systems. And here we have some countries who are just throwing passes to basically anybody. So it just it just shows how different the but world is and how hard it is to control that situation because. The main thing is that FIBA is not going to change uh, or to make this rule stricter. There's clear one uh, spot on the roster, on the 12-man roster, and from what they say, officially, they're not going to change yeah. it. But there are a lot of well, interesting what, points. What, about what I hate about this discussion is, I mean, whether you like it or not, whether you're for, for yeah. or against, it doesn't change anything. So my approach is just you have to live just, with it yeah, and enjoy basketball. Just, That's it. Yeah, I agree. Uh, Davil, uh, and as much as I like Doncic or Yanis, I'm happy to see that the team is still more worth than a single player. I feel that in the NBA, this isn't always true as a game is more star players focused than the team focused. Uh, it's not just about that. Yeah, it's it's the, just a take so we can elaborate on it. Yes, I mean, uh, in my opinion, it's not just about that. Uh, the NBA season is a marathon. The Eurobasket mm -hmm. is a sprint. Like, if Slovenia is playing a best-of-seven series against Poland, it's 4-1 or 4-0, a sweep. It's clear. But it's a one-game knockout competition. Injuries impact you. You're tired it's hard for you your body is tired like especially we saw it on luca so this changes everything mm -hmm. in the nba it's a marathon you finish your regular season you qualify for the playoffs you're playing the best of seven series in one game anything can happen but in the series usually the better team wins so it's not just about the team versus the star like you replay the greece germany game i doubt that the germans would hit 17 freeze freeze mm -hmm. again in a series, you would take Greece. Yeah, it's just uh, you, you can specific. say like the magic of the Eurobasket. Mm. Like in football, you have the magic of the cup, uh, where in the league season, rich clubs and better teams always dominate. But in the cup, anything can happen. Yeah. So that's that's the same in in the Eurobasket. Yeah, not the best. Uh, the best team not necessarily wins it because it goes about timing when you peak. Uh, about just you know finding this chemistry in like three weeks of the preparation stage then a lot of injuries, injuries physical affect. condition yeah just one good day so you know it's it's very different and actually it comes to the number question by hugo stiglitz uh he asks can the roles and efficiency of the players in the eurobasket be extrapolated later in the club uh, ponitka with same responsibility in a club can be all uh, can be so decisive and that's the thing that FIBA competition is a whole different world from the club mm. competition. And sometimes it's strange to see Adam Hanga being the main scorer, basically, on the team Hungary, being a point guard, playmaker on that team. And, I mean, we have to understand that it's a long season. Also, mm. we have a lot of American players, uh, which, which, is all, which says that there's more uh, athletic basketball, in more intensive basketball, and on a long stretch of the season, a lot of things can happen. And Look... Uh, the level is just higher on the club, club competition. And, and, and it's, it's very simple. Again, uh, the Eurobasket is a very small sample size. If I sign Ponitka to my Euroleague team as my key player, my main playmaker, my main shooter, he does everything for Poland, right? If he takes if his shot selection in Euroleague would be the same as it is in the Eurobasket, he would end the Euroleague season with like 18% three-point shooting accuracy. And if I hire Marcos Piso as my main point guard and my main scoring option, I will finish dead last in the Euroleague because I will be exposed so many times. Euroleague, in, in Euroleague, you're building a team based on your idea, how you want to see it play. Like That's why you have these coaches like Trinkieri, Messina, Sharas. They have a clear idea what they want to see on a basketball court and they are hiring players according to that. In the Eurobasket, the coach has to adjust to the players because if Italy doesn't have a center, well, the coach has to play without a center. If, if like, Poland don't have bigger talent than Ponitka, well, they have to depend on Ponitka. But in Euroleague, I don't see these players having yeah. huge roles like they do in the national teams. 
Although there was also a question about Panitka. I mean, it's clear that he's the Euroleague player. Oh, yeah, he he's Euroleague material, goal, but just really good Charlie role, Pascal, rotation player. He yeah. showed us how Panitka yeah. can, can function in a good Euroleague team. Yeah, there's no question. Uh, Atos Miriantus. Hi, guys. More love from Cyprus. Great podcast. My question to you is, do you think that the elimination of the three teams with the NBA superstars actually confirms how more technical and tough European basketball is becoming on contrast with how more athletic NBA is? In my opinion, this was a coaches tournament. See Scariola, for instance, or how our coaches eliminated Giannis with the wall? Well, I agree to some extent, especially about Scariolo, but the Giannis wall, I mean, Giannis did good in the quarterfinal. It was not about Giannis, the offense. They didn't lose because Giannis was yeah, struggling. it was about the defense. And then the other part of the question, I could go back to what I already said about the format yeah. of the competition. Yeah. Billions, Kachi Billions, hello guys, enjoy listening to you all. Love from Cyprus. A lot of listeners from Cyprus uh, have one question. With the elimination of the top players in the NBA and their respective countries, do you think that the coaches were so much dependent on their status as superstars in the NBA and didn't utilize the rest of the team and game um, planning? Uh, it seems as if when their superstars were having a bad game, the team folds. For example, Luca had a bad game against Poland and the rest of his teammates just folded like clean sheets. And where do you see the future of the respective countries, especially Greece, when it comes to Euro basketball? Thank you. I see them being one of the powerhouses in European basketball. You, you're talking about Greece. I'm talking about Greece and, and other countries, Slovenia, Serbia. And if you have a superstar player, how can you not be yeah. dependent on him? I mean, Luka Doncic makes everyone better yeah. around him. So um, yeah. I, I don't think the reason why these teams lost was that they were too dependent on their star players. No. Yeah, because there were some questions, for example, yeah. maybe Slukas or other players who didn't get as many touches as they get yes. on the club basketball. And maybe they were too cold to hit some shots or something. I didn't really really think that it affects yeah. them because uh, as you said i mean all these other guys next to these superstars they just become better and it's all about lineups and who fits who uh, the best and slovenia had this amazing formula for example uh, last last year with one clear superstar and a lot of euro cup uh, players let's say i so, mean uh, in the nba if you watch any playoff series the role players determine the outcome of the series so often because when you're playing next to a superstar like Yanis or, or Luca, they will always gather the defense and they will always give you the ball if you're open for, for a spot-up shot. And then it comes down to whether you hit those shots or not. If you watch Greece, the way they performed, Papa Petru or Papa Nikolaou cannot complain about the number of shots they had. Yeah. They had plenty of wide-open looks. They, they just, get more open looks when in the club season. Yes, Dorsey also. I mean, they just couldn't make those shots consistently. And I'm not blaming anybody for those losses, but I think playing next to a superstar like Yanis or Luka or Jokic makes it easier for you, not the harder. Unless, I don't know, you have Yanis, Sabonis and Valanciunas on the court. Yeah, maybe then it's mm -hmm. hard. Well, then yeah. issues with spacing. Yeah. Maybe. Nikola Perisic, how to get better referees? Simple um, question. And simple answer. Just bring these EuroLeague referees. I'm not saying that, you know, they would just eliminate all the complaints about the refereeing because yeah. you can hear a lot of stuff in the EuroLeague as well. But I think it's kind of clear. For example, we have this Lithuanian referee ranking. And our best uh, ranked Lithuanian, uh, he's sixth on that ranking and he's working here in the Eurobasket. I think it tells a lot that uh, not all the other uh, from top five work in the EuroLeague, but it explains something. If you're working in, in, in EuroLeague for the whole season, you adjust to faster pace, to better players on the court, more physical contact. And if you're working in the FIBA Champions League the whole season, the quality of basketball is lower. So as a ref, your job is also different. Mm. I mean, you apply the same rules, but uh, the better the players, the faster the pace, more contact, more tactics, more everything. So when you don't have the elite European refs, you suffer. It's simple. And I don't want to like single out any names, but 
I saw many referees in this tournament that they looked lost. Yeah. They, they couldn't cope with, with what's happening on the court. The best picture was during France and Poland game, d- during the fast break, when Jebiseli was about to dunk the ball in transition. <laughs> they stopped the fast break. He was like for one or two steps away <laughs> from that dunk, and they just stopped the fast break. They got, uh, they got technical uh, for, for Polish national team head coach, which didn't make any sense. You can, yeah. you know... Received, uh, you can give this technical after the play. Yeah, Bussell is going for the it was like for a dunk. second or two so away from Poland benefited from this, from yeah, exactly. this because they avoided two points and it was only one free throw. Okay, in the end, they got a three pointer, you know, but yeah, still, yeah. I mean, they they went in a better situation. Yeah, so it tells a lot about you know the speed of the game. The speed of the game is different, the athleticism of the game at the highest level is different, yeah. and these referees they just cannot, you know, follow uh, the same tempo of the game, the same level of the game. Yeah. And that's where's the main difference between the highest quality referees and let's say a little bit lower uh, yeah, quality I agree. referees. I agree. Uh Norbert Strautens, where do you think uh, full roster of Latvia would rank in this Eurobasket? They could be a quarterfinal team, and, and since we see Poland in the semis, who knows? Or even Finland, for example. Finland, for uh, sure. they're they're just as good as Finland, and probably even better because around Porzingis they have Bertens. great players. Yeah, so Schmitz, yeah, a lot of great players. I mean, it depends on a lot of factors. Which group you're playing exactly. in, what bracket do you get in the knockout? But Latvia could easily go for a medal. If everyone's yep. focused, I mean, in the past, I remember Latvian teams also being talented, but they were not just focused enough on basketball mm. and dealing with a lot of off the court issues all the time. Uh, Azimus, oh, this is a personal question that I had to include. Why you even don't try to hide your hatred against Turkish basketball? What makes your hatred so strong and obvious? I think it's also related to my tweet where I was complaining about the. Mm, three points that Forkan Korkmaz received in that ridiculous uh, situation and it cost at least one very important point for France in the last minute of the tie game but the whole hatred from Turkish fans actually towards us is ridiculous because if we if you remember just in our recent podcast we really supported uh, first of all we put them fifth in our rankings before the Eurobasket that tells a lot which looks funny right now we look hilarious right now with these predictions or just putting them uh, so high then there was this scuffle between Turkey and Georgia and we were kind of more in Turkish side I would say of course now we hear all the different opinions Uh, there's this disciplinary uh, um, look from FIBA on the situation and let's wait for some evidence but I mean I think that Turkish basketball received more than uh, enough support from our side. And I mean, during the season, hatred? during the season, we talk a lot about Fenerbahce, about Anadolu FS, and we always praise maybe them when they do the right things. People didn't understand the impersonation of Ergin Ataman, and maybe. maybe they thought it is disrespectful. Uh, but that's what we did for fun during the whole season, and look, it doesn't have any disrespectful messages. I don't. Behind I that. don't hate any country or any country's basketball culture. I accept everything and I mean I, I know that people are different around the world it's normal but it's so funny about these fans when I posted something about not kind of supporting friends I just wanted fair uh, fight on the court of course Turkish fans uh, attacked me then uh, I posted that uh, France they are lucky bastards because they went through mir- miracles especially of the Fontecchio one and I was kind of you know um attacked by some French fans saying why you cannot deal with France winning games so every time you tweet something for some reason fans think that you're against somebody and when we we are from Lithuania and we are journalists and we're just enjoying basketball in general it's so strange to hear that kind of feedback because we have no I mean we are supporters of good nice basketball basically that's what we prioritize so it's just we don't have any preferences just to make clear uh, and there's a legit question about Turkish basketball by Ahmed Bilay Kuru. What went wrong with Turkish national team? What would be your starting five and the main roles mm. for Turkish national team? If Furkan Cedi play in the Euroleague, can they have a dominant role in the Final Four team? Greetings from Istanbul. Well, in my opinion, they didn't have a clear system of how they want to play. Um, if I was the coach of the team, of course it sounds 
funny when some random guy says if I was the coach, but um, I wouldn't play with two centers. I wouldn't play with two bigs like Shingun and, and Shanli in the same lineup. I would use Chedi Osman maybe more as a as a four. Maybe you can say he's an undersized four, but a lot of teams play with undersized stretch four type of players and, and they do okay. So I would rotate Shanli and Shengun as my two centers, not them together on the on the on the floor. I uh, know that the bench is not very deep, so probably have to stick to a seven or eight man rotation. First of all, I need Shane Larkin to be in a good shape. Mm. Uh, of course he's my main point guard, but he would be a scoring guard in my team. And then Korkmaz and Chedi Osman, they're great players. Of course they would thrive in, in Euroleague right now. Korkmaz is a is a sharpshooter. Osman mm brings a lot of good qualities he can be tough and physical on defense as well so um my my idea is just that i i stick to shangun and shanli as my centers i don't play them together because then i have two slow centers on the court mm. and it makes it so much easier for the other team to attack they had many defensive issues yes. so you need some role players who would fill these roles defensively or, or just supporting uh, our guys with uh, our qualities i mean they weren't they weren't far away from reaching higher goals i mean they were they deserve the win against France and they were in the quarterfinals, away. for example. Yeah. And who knows, maybe then they, they made the semifinals um, playing against Italy, uh, for example. They were missing some good shots. Something was just not clicking. They just con couldn't connect shots, although they have more than enough uh, good shooters. So they're not far away from from being on the top. I mean, if Larkin is 100%, yeah. that changes everything. In this tournament, you had a feeling he was never... 100% and eventually he he left he and didn't it, even play in the round of 16 it's not like yeah it's not like we're blaming Shane because I think that even Euroleague he needs time he just had problems that's it he, he had problems but yeah even the Euroleague season he needs time to get on his pace so maybe yeah, yeah. that's just part of his you know personality he was not used to national team basketball you know mm. he had more than enough time to uh, to get into his shame during the season for the most important games in, in April, for example, or, or May. So, so yeah, I mean, they're in a nice... I mean, they're not in a bad situation. They just need to make some adjustments, some luck and some players in a better shape. The problem is that they don't have very good Turkish players on, on the elite Turkish clubs. They're FS just not Fenerbahce. playing at all. This, this is why you have like Tuncher for the national team all of a sudden becoming a very important scorer, mm. but for FS, he's just a bench player. Maybe Sermush uh, Hazer is going to yeah. be a re reliable ball handler with some defensive Well, right now I see him more, of, more of a defensive player, yeah, but yeah, yeah. we'll see what happens next next season. Panayotis Kaklamanakis, what do you think uh, who deserves to be the MVP no matter what the final winner will be? Lorenzo Brown? I think so. For me, it's even hard to find the MVP on the French team. I mean, it's Rudy Gobert if you look at the numbers, but then when you're thinking about the impact... The really, really best player in the court. You're starting to think about Tom uh, Ertel. Because There's Yebusele also. I mean, Yebusele, this yeah. is Yeah, this is a tough one. This is a tough one. But the obvious answer is Lorenzo Brown. Mm. And I, I checked the history, and I think that there was only once when Dirk won the MVP of Eurobasket in... 2005. Didn't Marcellonis win it in 95? Uh, I mean, Dirk was the last one oh, who okay. didn't win the championship, okay. but he won the MVP. And Marcellonis was the next one in 1995. Yeah. So it's it's a rare thing if, for example, we're talking that Schroeder or anybody else deserves this MVP title. It basically goes uh, for a winner. Yeah. Uh, progress 19. Which game is the upset of the tournament in Europe? I mean, it's obvious. Slovenia, Poland, the yeah. biggest contrast between the level and the expectations as a well. A team with Star no player. Euroleague and NBA players beating a team with it's one of the best NBA players and, and, and an NBA veteran and some solid Euroleague players. So it's a huge upset. Diagoras uh, Manusos, what three things uh, that you've or we learned from this Eurobasket? Well, Predictions are useless. Question. Predictions that's are useless. The main that's the main thing, yeah. Um, it's so great when national team basketball is more about is the offense than defense. We were used to these 70, 60 point yeah. games and so it, it was a good improvement. I also learned that in this venue it's easier to get a technical than get a cup of coffee. That's true. It's <laughs> a good one. It's a good one. <laughs> so, but I mean, uh, I cannot say that I, I've learned a lot of new things because 
We were also in, in the Eurobasket in, in Tel Aviv, in Istanbul. We were in the World Cup uh, in China. It's more or less the same. As long as the biggest names, the biggest star players are playing for their national teams, you can expect games to be high scoring, uh, high tempo, and, and based on skill. So this is what's happening yeah. in the Eurobasket. And probably the, also the other thing is that we can no longer tolerate this officiating. I mean, stop playing these games, just bring the best referees, just find a deal with the EuroLeague referees because from what I hear, it's just about more of ambitions of FIBA not hiring EuroLeague referees because as we said, we have EuroLeague coaches here, EuroLeague players, of course, with NBA players, but the difference between the quality on the court and the people who are trying to control the game is just, it's just embarrassing. So yeah. That would be the probably the main three points. That's it, Ritis. Uh, nice. Thanks a lot for all the questions. Very productive very Q&A productive, session. Fast Q&A session. And probably we should go to five guys right now. That's to, that sounds great. I see your <laughs> smile on your face. I mean, you're happy and we need to eat. I mean, there were no days off in this tournament. Although it is official at the off, there were no days off. The last part from Berlin. Let's expect the best from the final game. We will make all these conclusions after the tournament with, with Augustas. And yeah, thanks a lot. See you next time.